Welcome to Find Your Still Point, a podcast for busy people looking to feel calm in the midst of the chaos of life. I'm your host, Jessica King. I'm a therapist, yoga teacher, wife, mother, business owner, and entrepreneur. I know busy, and I know what it feels like to let busy rule your life. I've spent my career learning ways to cultivate presence and contentment. And you know what? I'm still working on it. I want to share the humanness of this practice and encourage you to embrace all the perfectly imperfect parts just as they show up. In this podcast, I will talk about the challenges we all face while trying to find presence, teach practical skills to reduce stress, and I hope I just keep it real with you guys because life is hard. But as they say, we can do hard things. I infuse modern evidence-based psychotherapy with yoga philosophy and a little touch of neuroscience nerdiness into my style of teaching because I believe when we know more, we do better. I'm here to give you glimpses into my own journey in hopes that somewhere in the mess of it all, you find inspiration to get present with the life that you're living and find your own still point. So let's get started. Hello everyone. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about how stress can impact our health and its intersection with some mental health issues. Up until this point, I've been talking about how stress is just a natural part of life and that our bodies are built to process the stress in really highly effective ways. And that is still so true. Actual stress is not the enemy. In fact, some level of stress, when processed appropriately, makes us more resilient. And what resilience means, it it just means we have the capacity to transform after difficult, hard, or traumatic events. If you have questions about how stress works in our bodies, go check out the last episode called What is Stress? Um, Also, the, the stretching episode, the tip about stretching has some information about how we process stress in our bodies. So you can go listen to those for some more information. But for, for the sake of this, this episode, you know, we can never eliminate stress. So it's just important to begin to make friends with it and learn strategies to manage it which is what much of this podcast was created for strategies to cope with stress and in turn, make our bodies stronger and more resilient and just help us thrive. However, there are times when it's not just stress any longer. Chronic stress or ongoing persistent stress can cause distress, which impedes our functioning. Additionally, there are external events that can impact our health. There can be biological and genetic factors to consider. There is a time when we can say, this is no longer a normal reaction that I need to cope with. There's a time when coping skills no longer cut it and we need more support. There's a time when underlying healing is needed because using coping strategies is just too much work. It takes far too much energy and it's just not making an impact any longer. It's like the coping strategies start to become more like a band-aid. You know, 
A Band-Aid is great for a small scrape or skin abrasion. You know, it keeps the area clean and it allows healing to occur. But imagine putting just a regular old Band-Aid on a gaping wound. That's, you know, imagine it on your leg, this gaping wound. Not only is it the gaping wound not thoroughly clean, but with just that little Band-Aid that's not covering the whole thing, it can continue to get contaminated. It can be re-injured. So without the proper medical care, which would really be irrigating that wound out, suturing it, and possibly medications, it's going to continue to become a problem. Now, we still need the Band-Aid during the healing process. At some point there, maybe we have a larger bandage over that, there's that large sutured wound, or as it heals, maybe we need other Band-Aids, but we need all those other critical steps first. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about when it's not just everyday stressed and there's more of a deeper internal wound that's impacting you. I want to talk about diagnosis and I want to talk about mental health. So there's a stigma around mental health. The stigma is perpetuated by our culture and our media. You know, you can hear it when you hear people say phrases, phrases like, you know, I know I sound crazy, but, <laughs> or I promise you I'm not crazy, but, <laughs> you know, you see it in films, like the depiction of films when the hysterical woman, quote unquote, is portrayed as incapable of doing her job or, you know, just depression. It's whispered. She's got depression or postpartum depression. It's felt when you hold back from telling others at work or socially that you're having a difficult time getting out of bed because any lack of productivity or perceived weakness could have negative consequences on your reputation, your employment, or your social status. So yes, we have a stigma around mental health. And what happens is we just don't talk about it and the stigma continues. But the reality is that diagnosable mental health issues are prevalent. According to data, one in five adults have a diagnosable mental health issue. And every day, 123 Americans die by suicide. Let me repeat that. Every single day, 123 Americans die by suicide. That's one death by suicide every 12 sec 12 minutes. And the rate is climbing and we know teen suicide rates are on the rise too. And we have not even begun to understand the impact that COVID-19 will have on mental health statistics. Guys, here's the truth. Mental health is health. It is my truest belief that we cannot separate mental health from physical health. We are one whole being and what impacts one area of our being impacts another. You may have heard someone reference psychosomatic symptoms. I, I, you know, I have a love hate relationship with that word because I think there's also a stigma around just that word, but what it truly is referencing is just the fact that real physical symptoms can arise from or are influenced by the mind or emotions rather than a specific organic cause in the body, such as an injury or infection. Well, duh, right? 
The way we feel emotionally and mentally influences our physical body. We know that. We feel it. For some reason, our medical model of care sometimes teaches otherwise, but we know intuitively in our bodies that that happens. The truth is that we're emotional beings and our emotions influence everything. Emotions are how we relate to one another. Emotions influence every behavior or action that we have. Emotions are the key to healing, but they seem so intangible at times and truly can be so difficult to feel that we avoid and sidestep this fact, just hoping that something more physical or more medical, and I put that in quotes, comes up. But the stigma relates to the fact to this fact because we can't find a specific injury or a bodily infection that, and so it becomes unknown to our medical um, community. When really the reason we haven't been able to define this more is because we actually have known very little about how the mind and body work together until recently. Again, intuitively, we know it in our bodies, but the mind is complex and neuroscience is complex and we're really beginning to understand how it all works together. So not to digress. So if we just come back and we just all agree here that the mind and body are one unit operating together to create this feeling and acting being that we are, we are feeling and acting being, and we like occasionally think sometimes if we can agree on that, how do we start to understand diagnosis and mental health in terms as a completely treatable and not a shaming experience? Well, let's just first demystify and break down a couple common diagnoses in terms of how the body works. So if you've ever seen the big book of the DSM-5, um, we use this now to diagnose individuals. Um, and if you've seen it, then you know there's hundreds of diagnostic codes and descriptions in there. But today I'm just going to talk about anxiety, depression, and trauma. All three so prevalent and probably something that every single person listening, including myself, has felt, noticed, or witnessed in someone else or in yourself at some point in your life. For each diagnosis, there is an emotional component that is acting as a messenger. And I, so I think it's important to understand how emotions act as messengers in our body first. All emotions are energy showing up to tell us something about our environment in an effort to help us. It's really that simple. So and it, it is a chemical reaction. It is, it's physical. I don't, we feel like, again, it's intangible, but there is a chemical energetic reaction happening in our body and that's what we feel. So really simply, and again, very reductive, not everything that's going on. So our brain perceives our external world. It also is scanning our internal landscape at all times, what's going on inside. And it takes all those perceptions and they get filtered through layers of our memories and our schemas. Um, and the things that we've experienced. And then it sends out a chemical message through the body that shows up as emotion. So for example, let's imagine we're at an amusement park. 
I may notice certain physical sensations as my body, as well as noticing the images in front of me. You know, it might be a roller coaster or whatnot, and I'm hearing certain loud sounds around me of the roller coaster or maybe people screaming, and I can smell the smells in an amusement park, right? So all those things my body's taking in. And depending on what my prior experiences have been, as well as the current state of my nervous system, like how did I come into that amusement park, park where I am on that given day, as well as what are the memories and the experiences I've had, I will get a message in my body that's either, you know, for this particular experience, maybe it's exciting or fearful. Both of those are possibilities. Both have a typical, that kind of energy that you have around an amusement park, one of them we experience as pleasurable and the other one we experience as displeasurable. We could also have other emotions. Maybe there's sadness. Maybe there's worry. There could be layers of multiple emotions, but these emotions are showing up to help us decide how we'll follow through or not follow through with an action. You know, are we going to get on the roller coaster or not get on the roller coaster? And what that, what is that experience going to be like? This is all the normal nervous system process. However, it sometimes operates just a little differently in the presence of other mental health diagnosis. So let's start with trauma, for example. Trauma has a big impact on the way we perceive situations. Trauma is basically any event experienced or witnessed that's extremely distressing for an individual. Traumas are different for each person. What's traumatic for me may not be for you. And everyone processes trauma in different ways and in different time frames. But trauma does interfere with our normal nervous system functioning. It either kind of keeps us, quote unquote, stuck on in kind of a mobilized or active state where we might feel restless and some other, some other things in our bodies, or it keeps us in a stuck off or immobilized state. It, um, you know, trauma impacts the parts of our brain that process emotion, memory, and our, and, and our threat detector kind of gets, gets affected when we've experienced trauma. So the whole external and internal world for the traumatized person is different than another person that may be experiencing the exactly sa- the exact same thing. So if we go back to the amusement park example, what happens if at that same amusement park, while looking at the roller coaster, you're hearing the same sounds and smelling the same smells, but maybe I'm a person that grew up in a war zone who experienced attacks and possibly hearing the screams of others fleeing an attack and that there were loud noises during that time. While at the amusement park, the screams of the excited patrons may filter through my mind and trigger a memory of being in that war zone. The body will start to experience the same emotions at, as if I was back in that same traumatic time. Because the nervous system, remember, all it wants to do is protect us, but its wires have sort of gotten crossed at this point. So panic may flood the system and the reactions and behaviors of that person may be misinterpreted. So from an outside viewer looking in, they may misinterpret what's going on with a person who has experienced trauma. 
So really like none, none of my deep breathing exercises in that moment are going to help regulate that nervous system. Yes, they are coping skills that need to be part of the toolkit for every day working through trauma. And yes, over time there is help and not everyone that has experienced a traumatic event becomes traumatized. All of these things are true. But for someone that is experiencing this, it's important for everyone to understand if you're experiencing this, it's important for you to understand that you're having a normal reaction to something really bad that happened and that your body is just trying to beautifully protect you. But without trauma processing, we're not, you know, an individual may not be able to cope in what seems like a normally triggering situation. But good news is there's therapies. We'll talk more about this at the end, but to help process trauma, somatic experiencing, EMDR, TFCBT, these are just a few of the therapies that are evidence-based and that help us process these bad experiences. So our wires aren't crossed anymore so that the nervous system gets reset and we're not either stuck on or stuck off. So that's an example of where mental health intersects some of these wellness practices or coping strategies and how they may not present in the same way in in another situation. So anxiety is another common diagnosis that gets thrown around a lot. Anxiety can actually be in an emotion too, right? That arises in our body to help us understand when something needs our attention. That's all it is, right? If we don't get a little anxious about the deadline, sorry, the deadline at work, we may not push ourselves to get the job done. But diagnosable anxiety, like generalized anxiety or other specific anxiety disorders are different. It's not just a person that's worrying too much about a stressor. People with diagnosable anxiety are feeling excessive worry or overthinking things or ruminating about a trigger or stressor, but they're also doing that without the presence of that stressor. So it's occurring maybe in times where you otherwise think that it shouldn't be. For a lot of people, anxiety feels like an overwhelming burden that's sitting on their shoulders all day long. And for a lot of people, anxiety and depression are closely related. And when anxiety is overwhelming and other people, others don't understand and they can't get the anxiety to go away, then they start to withdraw and isolate, which can trigger episodes of depression. About one in 10 Americans suffer from oppression. It's the leading cause of disability in people ages 15 to 44 years old. And like I said before, in the U.S., someone dies by suicide every 12 minutes. We need to be talking about this. Anxiety and depression are results of the neurobiology of our body. Through brain imaging, we know that different areas of the brain are more activated than other areas, which is impacting the feelings of anxiety and overwhelm. 
We know that in depression, there are underactive production of different neurochemicals that are essential for our well-being. And without going down a deep rabbit hole of big words and processes, we know that there are neurobiological reasons for anxiety and depression, and people are not just overly dramatic, and they're not lazy. They cannot just stop their worry, and they can't just get off the couch. They cannot just talk their way out of their feelings. They need help. We need help. We all know about this and can empathize. And we need to empathize and understand that people of our country and our world have suffered in silence and have been alone. And we need to make getting help and support easier. Complete acceptance of therapy medication, psychiatry is essential. Open dialogue is essential and an educated community is a big start. So thanks for listening to my soapbox today and making this a place where we can have these conversations. I hope you take this conversation and have more with the own people in your life. We all need each other. So what's important to remember from this discussion today? Your body is built with an amazing and beautiful mechanism for healing and protecting you. Sometimes that mechanism needs extra support and it takes a village. What we also know is that we're built for connection and mental health issues often tell us the lie that we are different, isolated, or not worthy of that connection. And we need to stomp that lie out now and increase the acceptance and access to things that can help people, peer support groups, medication, body-based healing modalities, yoga, tai chi, qigong, somatic processing, other alternatives like acupuncture or supplements, and any community resource that helps you meet your needs. With all these things in place to help the healing process, we can then utilize the coping skills, and the strategies we need to manage everyday stress. Mm -hmm. So as always, we're going to practice together today. And today it will be a pranayama or a breathing exercise. For a lot of individuals that have some nervous system dysregulation, concentrating on breathing exercises can actually feel uncomfortable or at times like you're back experiencing the feelings or experiencing the worst parts in your body. And this is for a good reason. So when we inhale, the heart rate actually speeds up just a little bit. But if your body and your heart rate are already accelerated and your body is already in its mobilized place, then inhaling deeply, you know, a big deep inhale may trigger feelings that remind you of panic or anxiety. However, When we exhale, the heart rate is triggered to slow down, which most often feels regulating for everyone's nervous system. So when doing breathing exercises, it's just important to focus your attention on the exhale, especially if you suffer from any type of anxiety disorder, any type of trauma, or any type of dysregulated nervous system. The practice today will be guided. I will guide you. But what I like to call a stair-step breathing. So the inhale will be three gentle pulsing breaths in. 
And then the exhale will be a long six count continuous breath out. I'll guide you through. So if you're ready, find a comfortable, safe space and we'll practice together. you found your comfortable safe space just begin to orient yourself in that space so you find your seat wherever that is and you feel the seat underneath you maybe try to feel one or two other sensations maybe the clothing on your skin or your hair brushing the back of your neck just noticing. And as you do that, let the eyes float around the room, just noticing things that may be pleasurable or interesting. Maybe things that seem curious to you, light or colors. Maybe you notice some sounds around you and how orienting in your space begins to ground you. When you feel comfortable with eyes opened or closed, just notice your breath without an effort to change it or deepen it whatsoever. Just notice that it's occurring. We'll begin to practice our stair-step breathing and so completely exhaling at the bottom of the next breath. When you inhale, just slowly and gently in three little steps, take a breath in. And then exhale for a count of six, five, four, three, two, one. Inhale for gently one, two, three. Exhale six, five, four, three, two, one. Inhale gently one, two, three. Exhale six, five, four, three two, one, inhale, one, two, three, exhale, six, five, four, three, two, one, inhale, one, two, three, exhale, six, five, four, three, two, one, inhale, one, two, three, exhale, six, five, four, three, two, one, take a nice, gentle, regular breath in and out. Noticing the effects of that practice while you continue to ground into your space. Noticing the feelings 
of the body in the space, the sounds around you. Maybe let the eyes travel around once again as you slowly re-enter the world, finding small movements. If there's anything I hope you take away from this podcast today is that if you're dealing with any mental health diagnosis, you are not weird, you're not broken, and you're not inferior. Your body is actually responding in the exact way it thinks you need to help you survive. Wrap your arms around yourself and thank your body for getting this far. And let's say yes to some extra support in any form. You're worth it and you deserve to feel good and that prescription to feel good is unique to you. There are people that can help you figure out that quote-unquote prescription. A therapist or if you prefer a life coach may be a good place to start but there's other community-based models of care that work for people, churches, community organizations, AA, Al-Anon, mommy support groups, whatever you can find in your community that seems to fit what you need. Also, if you know someone with a mental health disorder, reach out to them and let you, let them know that you're they're not alone. And not in like a pushy, I know what's best for you kind of way, but in a supportive, empathetic, and open to listening kind of way to understand. We're a community of people just figuring our way through this vast world, and we need each other. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please reach out. In the show notes, I've listed some resources, but some ideas here are if you're feeling like you'd want to hurt yourself to call your local mobile crisis numbers or 911 or go to an emergency room for immediate help. There's also a national texting line. You can text 741-741 anytime you need to talk to someone. If you're struggling and feel like you want to make some changes in the way you feel, seek support from local community mental health agency, search therapist on Psychology Today, or see if your town has any local support groups that seem interesting to you. This podcast is never intended to be a replacement for mental health care, but I hope it provides some normalization and understanding for what you may be experiencing or someone you love may be experiencing. And I hope it's a call to action to seek help and to get connect, get to get get connected. Because you're worth it. And until next time, be well, my friends.